if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Push that button, Derek. Thank you. Um, welcome to The Authority. It is eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday, the 13th morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2020. I'm a little bit under the weather today, so I apologize if I sound a little subdued. It's not really that. It's just, uh, you, know, you know, how it is when you got a battle. Uh, fortunately, I've got a couple of great people on my side battling today. Steve Cortez is going to be joining me from the Trump campaign at about 9.35, a half an hour from now, to talk about the president's rally last night, the one that's coming tonight, the one that's coming tomorrow, and the other one that's coming on Thursday. Uh, because uh, the president is a, I said before, he's a machine. <laughs> he is a machine. He is uh, less than two weeks removed from a positive diagnosis on October 2nd of uh, COVID-19, and he is an absolute machine. He doesn't show the fatigue that the rest of us do. Like I said, I'm kind of feeling it right now. Almost called off today. Uh, but, but how can you do that? How can, how can anybody take a sick day when you look at Donald Trump? <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's almost like, you know, it's inspirational to to a degree. Uh, if he can push through everything that he deals with, forget about COVID-19, too. Forget about the Chinese coronavirus. Just general Donald Trump fatigue, you, you would give him an excuse if he took a couple of days off. Because he is his, his work schedule between campaigning and actually governing and presiding, which is what presidents do, uh, you know, over this country, his schedule just would drive anybody into the ground, and instead he just keeps on. He's like the Energizer Bunny. Uh, fresh batteries all the time. It was really amazing. So he's inspirational in that regard, and I think that's why a lot of us should keep going, too, and that's why I'm here today. So Steve Cortez of the Trump campaign at 935, and then at 1010, you know what it is. It's Tuesday, and that means it's cursing out day. Now, the only thing that may get in the way of that, and I legitimately don't know yet, is if Peter Kersenow gets called away to get on a virtual Zoom uh, appointment with the the, the uh, Senate Judiciary. Peter Kersenow has testified during the confirmation hearings of multiple Supreme Court justices in the past, and he never knows when they're going to call him as a representative of um, the United States Commission on Civil Rights to testify. And uh, I know he's always ready. He told me even before, you may recall this, in fact, if you listen on a regular basis, 
But he told me before that, you know, the moment that Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away, uh, he had his assistant start pulling some of the case files involving some of the top candidates for the nomination by President Trump so that he could brief himself on them in the event that he gets called to testify. So the guy has another warrior. The way he keeps the schedule is kind of crazy. So if Kirstenau is not testifying today for the Amy Coney Barrett uh, uh, confirmation hearings, then uh, he will be with us at 1010. And we have a lot of very important stuff to cover with him. All right, so day one of the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee hearings, of course, did not involve questioning of Amy Coney Barrett yet. It was a lot of opening statements, a lot of bluster, a lot of noise. And quite frankly, a lot of embarrassment from the uh, Democrat Party. Uh, they are, of course, furious with the notion that President Trump is going to get to name yet another Supreme Court justice. They are furious with the idea that this is happening within a month of the election. And they're looking for somebody to blame. And that somebody, of course, is going to be President Trump. Not Amy Coney Barrett as much as President Trump. Now, follow through this with me, if you would. If you listened yesterday, and I couldn't listen to all of it because I was hosting the Prager show at the same time that most of this was going on. But if you went back and listened to some of the highlights and lowlights and so on and so forth, you'll find a theme of day one of the confirmation hearings with the opening statements being made by uh, you know, uh, ranking members of the Judiciary Committee. You heard everybody from Richard Blumenthal to Maisie, Crazy Maisie Hirono, to uh, 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 Kamala, sounds like communist, Harris, um, uh, Coons, uh, Chris Coons, I mean, over and over and over again. What you heard that was kind of a theme coming from all of their statements was a lot of criticism of Donald Trump, not so much of Amy, Amy Coney Barrett. And I think their strategy there. We've talked about this. The left is constantly accusing the right, conservatives and Republicans, of being misogynistic and not being uh, respectful of you know women and women in the workplace and this, that, and the other. And yet, leading up to the start of the hearings, all the left could do was rip Amy Coney Barrett. They ripped her for being a mother, a working mother of seven children, for adopting two children. They even accused her of uh, using two Haitian kids that they adopted uh, just to uh, color up the, the family portrait and diversify it a little bit. Um, they ripped her for you know wanting to be a Supreme Court justice while trying to raise seven school-age kids. They ripped her for being a mother of seven school-age kids who wants to go work at the Supreme Court. They ripped her up one side and down the other in the days and the last really couple of weeks uh, before yesterday's hearing started. And guess what they found? It didn't poll well for them at all. Because they were being what they... And this is what they are, of course. We, we, we talk about this on a regular basis. The Democrats are the party of projection. They project onto others what they themselves do constantly, including racism. They project racism onto Donald Trump and conservative Republicans when they are the party of racism, historic and modern day. That's just the reality of it. And so they project onto conservative Republicans, you know, misogyny uh, and, uh, you know, disrespectful of women's rights and equal pay and blah, blah, blah. And then they go and attack Amy Coney Barrett. 
And then they realized, this isn't going well. This is a losing strategy because we're not going to be able to stop her. And if we beat her up over her own views and over her, um, uh, her faith, her Catholicism, of course, has already been targeted by Senate Democrats prior to her confirmation for the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals on which she sits. If we beat her up, the Democrats realized, um, it's going to look bad for us because we're the ones who are always talking about women empowerment and Ruth Bader Ginsburg fought for women's rights. We can't attack this woman in such a way. So yesterday, at least for a day in the opening statements, most of the criticism, not all, I'm not saying that Amy Klobuchar didn't come after Amy Coney Barrett. She did. But most of what you heard yesterday was criticism of Donald Trump because he made the pick. They can't do to Amy Coney Barrett what they did to Kavanaugh, or they will look awful, and they know it. So yesterday they made Trump the focal point, shouting that, you know, Amy Coney Barrett is not Donald Trump's judge. She should be the people's judge, and that means the people should be the ones to make the decision on on whether or not she gets appointed. In other words, wait until the election and let the people make their pick for the presidency and let that person then pick this judge. So they've gone after Donald Trump. They've said that Donald Trump has been a longtime opponent, which is true of the Affordable Care Act. The the president, I think, was elected four years ago in large part because of his opposition to the Affordable Care Act, and in particular, the unconstitutional individual mandate that said you can go to jail, first be fined, and then potentially jailed for not buying a product from a private company, an insurance company. Um, He was elected in large part on that. So yeah, he won, and and then of course, in his first term, he managed to get the uh, individual mandate repealed stripped from the Affordable Care Act. Now the job is to finish it off. And so what the left did yesterday was say, this is Donald Trump's tool, kind of kind of diminishing the personhood of Amy Coney Barrett, kind of dimish, diminishing her in terms of she doesn't have her own thoughts, she doesn't have her own um, ideals, And she doesn't have her own independence. She's just Donald Trump's tool to get rid of the ACA. Donald Trump has heard her speak against the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. And so he's using her to finish the job. And in doing so, we'll strip 20 million, you keep hearing the lies over and over again, strip 20 million people of their health care, strip women of their right to choose what they do with their body, uh, uh, to harm minorities, to, to, to kill people with pre-existing conditions. All Amy Coney Barrett is is Donald Trump's tool. So they, they, kind of, they kind of were walking a fine line yesterday between criticizing Barrett and saying, we've got to watch that. The people are not going to like it, so we better criticize Trump for putting Barrett here. And so they're doing that. Um, it, it, it was really a sight to see, and now it'll be really a question that's getting underway right now. Um, how they treat her when they get to question her directly. Will they go after her the way they did Kavanaugh, but on different matters? I'm here to tell you I don't necessarily... Well, I I don't want to say that either. I'm not always the best at prognosticating. Because I feel like they will try to destroy her, but I think they are taking cautious steps 
they are taking a, 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 a much more reserved tone because beating up on Amy Coney Barrett, a mother of seven and a an absolutely phenomenally qualified jurist, is a little different than beating up on what they might call smug Brett Kavanaugh, the party boy from his frat days who did this, 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 and this, and let's bring out some people who had never made an accusation against him before to make it 30 years later and talk about how vivid it is in their memory, although it's never been mentioned in 30 years, etc. If they try to do that to Amy Barrett, I think it'll backfire on them. So I, I'm very interested to see what approach they take today. I think they will probably be aggressive about the ACA, they will probably be aggressive to a degree about the role that you know her faith plays in her life and her decision-making. But I don't think they're going to come for her um, with both barrels as much as they're going to come at Donald Trump through her with both barrels, if that makes sense. So it'll be interesting. And I have to say, my, my opinion on this has evolved since I heard yesterday's uh, opening statements. My first thought, and I talked about this before you know they started yesterday uh, on the air and even last week on Friday, I said they're about to Barrett her. They're about to Barrett her, which is going to be the new terminology for Kavanaughing someone, which of course replaced, you know, borking someone. Uh, this is just the way that it is when it comes to liberal Democrats choosing to provide advice and consent on a Republican appointee. Uh, this is what they do. They try to destroy them. So that was what my prediction was. There'll be a new verb here. They're going to bear at people. Uh, but I don't know now. After yesterday's, you know, more cautious tone toward her and more of ripping Donald Trump through her, uh, I think maybe that is the approach that they take. All right, I'm looking for your thoughts. Uh, what, are your, what are your opinions on Amy Coney Barrett? Do you think this thing lasts more than a couple of days, knowing that the Democrats have nothing? They've all admitted it. We have no way to stop this. The only thing we can do is threaten to destroy the country uh, in response to this. That's not an overstatement, by the way. That is not hyperbole. Threatening to destroy the country by packing the courts, providing statehood to to American territories, including Washington, D.C., packing the Senate with more liberal Democrat senators in such a way, eliminating the legislative filibuster so they can do anything and everything they want. All of these things they have said are on the table. And uh, this is this is where we are. They are absolutely in a in a in a position where they are willing to destroy the country to to uh, uh, to take vengeance, I guess, upon Donald Trump for daring to fill Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. Okay, quick time out. It's nine twenty one. This is the authority on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Okay, 925, thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Don't forget, we're about 10 minutes away from Steve Cortez, Senior Advisor to Trump, Pence 2020. He'll be joining us to talk about the President's schedule and about Joe Biden, who uh, just continues to amaze and stun uh, people with his inability to keep coherent thoughts together, to know who he is, to know where he is, and yes, to know which office he's running for. You know, we have to come together. That's why I'm running. I'm running as a proud Democrat for the Senate. I'm running as a proud Democrat for the Senate. Don't you think about that? 
The guy doesn't know where he is. The guy doesn't know who he is oftentimes, and this is why Nancy Pelosi is floating the idea of establishing a commission on presidential fitness in the event that the 25th Amendment needs to be uh, invoked. And this is not about Donald Trump, which, of course, she wants you to think that it is. It's silly for it to be about Donald Trump, considering we're three weeks away from the election. It's about the next time around. And, and, and getting a far-left socialist like Kamala Harris, one of the most unlikable people to ever run on a presidential ticket. And I mean that, by the way. She underscored why she polled so badly um, in the, her own presidential run. In the primary polling, during that vice presidential debate last week, she, she underscored. She just you know highlighted it for everybody. This is why nobody liked her. She is so incredibly condescending, smug, without any justification, by the way, because she hasn't done anything to, to, to deserve this type of, you know, uh, egotistical, condescending, narcissistic type of attitude that she seems to carry as she talks to other people. She just doesn't. But at any rate, she is going to be the next president of the United States if the Democrats win this ticket. Because Joe Biden is just simply not all there. Now, I don't know if this is cognitive slipping Joe or if this is just Joe's uh, inability to, to understand what he is saying before he says it. Disconnect between brain and mouth. But did Joe Biden just tell 56% of Americans not to vote for him? You decide. Yes. Uh, Gallup reported last week 50, 56% of Americans said that they were better off today than they were four years ago, would have been under the Obama-Biden administration. So why should people who feel that they are better off today, under the Trump administration, vote for you? Well, if they think that, they probably shouldn't. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. <laughs> that's got to be that's gotta be the next commercial. That wasn't a commercial, but we added in uh, the Trump approval slogan there. Whoever produced this did anyway, and it ought to be part of the next ad buy. If 56% of Americans feel like they are better off under Trump than they were four years ago, why should they vote for you? He said they probably shouldn't. <laughs> am, I, am I misreading that? Am I misunderstanding that? Am I, uh, you know, am I overlooking it? What am I doing? He was just asked by a reporter if if the 56% of Americans who like how their life is now compared to how it was four years ago, and of course that's COVID-19 restrictions notwithstanding, but if 56% of Americans polled, even during the time of COVID, say that their lives are better now than they were four years ago, why should they vote for you, Joe? And Joe says they probably shouldn't. Yeah, I approve that message, too, Mr. President. Uh, Gallup reported last week 56% of Americans said that they were better off today than they were four years ago, would have been under the Obama-Biden administration. So why should people who feel that they are better off today under the Trump administration vote for you? Well, if they think that, they probably shouldn't. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. (laughs) Oh, I do love it so. Uh, fish in a barrel sometimes. Fish in a barrel. Steve Cortez, Team Trump, Pence, 2020, will join us after the news. AM 1420, The Answer. It's the Bob France Authority here on AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed it is. 
Thanks for being with us. It is 934. We're waiting for Steve Cortez, who, of course, is a senior advisor for Team Trump. And uh, uh, he's been one of the real most vocal supporters and one of the most vocal critics of what the left is doing in this process with Amy Coney Barrett, as well as just in the uh, Biden campaign. Steve Cortez has become a firebrand. I'll tell you that. Uh, and I'm very. And by the way, Steve Cortez is one of the reasons I respect him and one of the things I like about him. He was one of the very first ones, and this is when he was a contributor over at CNN, okay? He was one of the very first people to publicly um, condemn uh, the the lie, the Charlottesville lie. In fact, I think he may have been the one who coined it, the Charlottesville lie. The notion that Donald Trump praised white supremacists as part as as part of the quote unquote very fine people on both sides. Uh, Steve Cortez was still on CNN when he put together a column uh, in which he exposed the entirety using the transcript, um, the entirety of the of the lie. He used the transcript, and then after he wrote that. Uh, Dennis Prager invited him to put it together as a, a PragerU video, and he did that. So I really have a huge amount of respect for Steve Cortez. He was one of the very first ones to expose it completely, even though it still isn't completely exposed. That sounds a little uh, uh, um, ridiculous, doesn't it? But what I mean is, literally, Joe Biden continues to repeat the lie, but more and more Americans don't believe it because of things like... Uh, uh, what uh, what uh, Steve Cortez has done. So that's really important. All right, so we're going to have Steve Cortez on here in a couple of minutes. I do want you to hear this one more time. This is Joe Biden. This, I mean, this is a big deal. Uh, and by the way, I have to tell you, I'm not. I'm, I'm more than a little surprised at the result of the survey that we're talking about here. I am a little bit surprised because right now a lot of people are in dire straits. Right now, a lot of people recognize that you know their jobs may not be coming back anytime soon, and if they do, it may be just a partial, um, you know, uh, uh, hours, you know, fewer hours because of capacity limits at businesses and because of production uh, limits and so on and so forth. Whatever their job is, there's a lot of people who are in a desperate state right now, and for this survey to be to come out right now, I think this is very, very telling that 56% of Americans, according to this recent Gallup survey, believe they are better off now than they were four years ago. And I think if you, I think if you take that survey or if you uh, conduct that survey you know, eight months ago before the Chinese coronavirus wreaked havoc on this economy, what would that number have been then? 56%. I mean, think about that. 56% now in the throes of the pandemic and with the uh, economic uh, devastation that we have suffered, 56% still say they're better off than they were four years ago. How's Joe Biden going to answer that? How does Joe Biden come back from that? And I'm told Steve Cortez is ready right now. Maybe we'll get an answer from him. Steve Cortez, senior advisor to Trump 2020. Steve, good to have you back on the air here in Cleveland. How are you, sir? Hey, I appreciate it. Good morning. By the way, I, I can answer your question. I, I was hearing your commentary there. The, that number before the China virus, we did get a number out in January on that survey, and it was at 61%. Um, wow. it, was the highest, it was the highest ever registered. But still, the fact that even, even with the absolute crisis of the China virus, global crisis, not just an American crisis, right. the fact that it's still at 56% is truly amazing. Because to put that in context, if we look back, for example, 
this is the highest of any incumbent president uh, up for re-election in history. They've been asking this question since 1984, Gallup has, uh, because, of course, Reagan won in 80 largely based on this question, right, as a That's campaign right. slogan. So then Gallup started surveying it from 84 on. Uh, even Reagan in 84, who, of course, won in a massive landslide, his number uh, of Are You Better Off was only 44 percent. Uh, nobody has ever been over 50 before. Bill Clinton was the highest at 50 in 1996, when, of course, the economy was really rocking um, in the mid-90s. So the fact that we're at 56, I think it reflects a couple of things. You know, number one, it reflects just how strong this country was coming into the pandemic, thank goodness. You know, 2019 was just a blow-the-doors-off year economically, by far the highest wage acceleration in American history uh, by a mile, 6.8%. Um, so thank goodness we came into this. Uh, you know, no one welcomes this tragedy, but we came into the tragedy um, in extremely strong economic shape. And again, that's not my opinion. That's the op- opinion of American citizens. And by the way, maybe you've already been talking about it, but Joe Biden in your state yesterday when he was confronted on this in Ohio. Don't say it. Don't say it, Steve. Don't, don't, don't say it. Uh, yes, I have been talking about it. Let's all enjoy okay. it again. Let's all enjoy it again together. Here we go. Yes. Uh, Gallup reported last week 50, 56% of Americans said that they were better off today than they were four years ago, would have been under the Obama-Biden administration. So why should people who feel that they are better off today under the Trump administration vote for you? Well, if they think that, they probably shouldn't. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. <laughs> I can, yeah, I, can you imagine this? Yeah, they probably shouldn't. 56% of Americans, you ought, probably ought to stay oh. with the guy that you like. I've got to tell you, when we saw that, I'm, I'm speaking to you from Trump campaign headquarters in Arlington, Virginia, just outside the nation's capital. And uh, when we saw that, there was a lot of high-fiving going on around Trump <laughs> campaign headquarters. And I tweeted out this morning that I honestly think as a matter of ethics, we should pay him as a campaign staffer because he, you're right, he's doing our ads for us, right? He's saying, 50, and by the way, first he insulted the American people. He first said, you don't have a very good memory, if you think that, as if people aren't aware of their own financial situation. And by the way, it's pretty rich for somebody like Joe Biden to be insulting somebody else on memory. Uh, I'm not sure he wants to go there, but regardless, uh, he insulted the American people first. And then he said, he, he effectively gave permission. He gave the, his his marching orders. If you think that, vote for Donald Trump. So, uh, thank you, Joe Biden. I'm going to agree with you on one thing only, which is which is that that calculus. And yes, the American people are better off economically. They're going to get even better than that if we rehire Donald Trump as our national CEO. You know, all the trends right now are fantastic in this country. We know we still have work to do. Steve Too Cortez is a senior advisor. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? We cut out there for a second. I thought you were done. Oh. I didn't mean to speak over you, Steve. Uh, no, Steve, okay. Steve Cortez is. Steve Cortez is our guest from uh, the Trump 2020 campaign. Just just because you mentioned uh, you know Joe Biden's memory uh, and again his cognitive faculties, which seem to be in steep decline, I thought this was another gem. You know we have to come together. That's why I'm running. I'm running as a proud Democrat for the Senate. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know if, if, if it's fair to even pick on him for these kinds of things anymore, because they're probably not his fault. He just is what he is. Right. He is a nearly 78-year-old man who is, who is just not on top of things the way that he once was. You, to listen to him speak now, especially, Steve, when we play back tapes of him criticizing the notion of packing the court, for example. As recently right. as 2005, in a prolonged statement about the absurdity of that, and then, of course, going back to 1983, in which he talked about what a, what a ridiculously terrible idea it was for FDR to try to pack the court. If you listen to him in his younger years speaking, a very forceful speaker, and to listen to him yep. now, it is just really kind of sad. So it's I don't want to focus on how he sounds as much as the content of what he is saying. And Steve, the content, let's talk about that. He is acute. He's trying to convince the American people 
that replacing a vacated seat, uh, you know, you know, in the Supreme Court is is the definition of court packing. I mean, is he, is right. he just that insulting to the people that, that he thinks they don't know what the difference is? Yeah, you know, he's he spread two lies pretty continually about Amy Coney Barrett. He keeps saying that it is unconstitutional, which, of course, is just a blatant lie. Mm-hmm fully constitutional, what's going on. And he also keeps saying that this is court packing. And no, according to the, anybody's, any reasonable person's definition of what court packing is, uh, it means expanding the number of justices, right? Something that thankfully hasn't been done in this country for 150 years for good reason, right? And you're right, FDR tried it. Even he, as a then very popular president, was rebuffed by his own party. By the Democrats of the Senate who said, no way, we're not going there uh, back in the 1930s, and we certainly shouldn't go there in 2020. You know, to that point, too, about Joe Biden, how different he is in all ways from the Joe Biden of decades past. You know, I think there was a time when Joe Biden was relatively a moderate in his half century in the Washington swap. If you look back at the 70s and 80s, I think he was a reasonable, somewhat centrist Democrat. Uh, but that's literally Agreed. 40 and 50 years ago. He is not that person or that candidate today. Um, he has fully embraced the agenda of the radical left. And by the way, another poll that I think is pretty shocking, uh, according to Rasmussen, 59% of Americans say that he would not finish his first term if elected. Now, what does that mean? It means President Harris. And so we have to consider what would a, what would a Harris presidency mean? Well, for one thing, she's literally the most liberal member of the United States Senate. And that's not just my opinion. That's according to GovTrack. They're an independent organization that does statistical modeling of legislative records. For the year 2019, she is number one on on the liberal score. She wins that ignoble gold medal. She takes it over even Bernie Sanders uh, and Elizabeth Warren. So we could be talking about, by a vote for Biden, in many ways, is probably de facto a vote for a President Harris. And I think if Americans, if we can convince Americans to think about that and reflect upon that, uh, the choice will become pretty clear that they have to reelect Donald Trump. Well, you know what, Steve Cortez, you're you're a thousand percent right about that. That's why I encouraged everybody to watch that vice presidential debate through a different lens than we normally watch vice presidential debates. Normally, right. the number two on the ticket is is you know doesn't move the needle very much, but in this case, she must be vetted as a potential number one. And right. and what I saw in that debate, Steve, is is you know a reminder of why her own presidential campaign fizzled out last December. She didn't make right. it to Christmas before the election year. She was polling right. at one to two percent in in Democrat primaries, and the reason why is she is an awful, awful, awful candidate. She is utterly no, unlikable. Is. And again, yep. if the Democrats hate her, and they do, that's why she was one to two percent. How on earth did she find herself now, you know, potentially, if they win, a heartbeat away from the presidency? Right, right. And, and to your point, I'm glad you brought that up, because, of course, it, you know, corporate media never wants to talk about it. She was their darling candidate, remember, back in 2015. She didn't even make it to 2016. You're exactly right. She didn't make it to a single primary or caucus. Uh, but she really was. She was the anointed candidate of sort of the elites of media, corporate America. She had every possible advantage, right? She's a woman. She's a minority. She had tons of money, tons of Hollywood and, and, and Silicon Valley money. She had every reason to succeed, and yet she failed miserably in their primary. I think why? Because I agree with you. She's totally unlikable. And people say that's sexist to say. No, it isn't. There's plenty of unlikable men, too. Okay, but she's unlikable, uh, and she just has the totally wrong policy prescription, right? Um, and we saw that on display in that vice presidential debate, and thank goodness a lot of people did watch. 50 million people watched, a uh, massive audience for a VP debate. Um, and by the way, because of the success of, of Vice President Pence, who I think really just put on a virtuoso performance against her, uh, because of that, what happened the next morning, just hours later, 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time? Well, the debate commission, which claims to be bipartisan and is not, it's a complete sham, 
uh, they decided to step on the story by issuing a unilateral decision that they were changing the second presidential debate to virtual. I believe they did that. When we look at that timing, it just reeks of, of influence peddling and intervention to try to save Biden, number one, but number two, to try to step on the story for the day, because the whole news cycle was going to be uh, on Thursday, this last Thursday, was going to be talking about Kamala Harris and, and Mike Pence and that incredible contrast. Instead, the news story was diverted. That's beltway tactics at its worst. But we have to do our best, and folks like you in talk radio, of making sure the American people are aware of what Kamala Harris stands for. Um, and again, it's not my view. A, a supermajority of Americans believe that Joe Biden could not finish a first term. That means a President Harris. So let's think long and hard about that choice, because I think there are voters out there. I think there are probably voters in Ohio who would be okay with Biden, who would not be okay with Harris. And so I want to encourage them to to really think about that reality. Yeah, the Trojan horse uh, theory, I think, is 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 real here. You know, ride this potentially, you know, somewhat moderate type of looking guy into the into the you know into the gates, uh, and then uh, out comes Kamala to run the show. And I totally agree. Do you think that's why Nancy Pelosi is pushing for this uh, commission, this uh, presidential oh, fitness commission? Hundred percent, absolutely right. I mean, she has the guise of pretending that oh, well, this is about Trump because I think Trump's crazy. Uh, and by the way, for crazy Nancy to, to question everybody else's fitness, that also is kind of rich. It's sort of like <laughs> Joe Biden questioning people's memory. Um, but regardless, yes, look, she is setting the stage uh, to replace Joe Biden because if he doesn't want to go away, I believe she and her and her crony friends are going to make him go away because the radical left sees an opportunity here to to, uh, to actually you know get the get behind the resolute desk for the first time you know in American history. I mean, there were certainly things that were liberal about Barack Obama. Uh, but he would be compared to the squad and compared to uh, uh, to Kamala Harris. Obama would appear to be a real centrist, right? Particularly the Obama that ran in two thousand and eight. Um, you know, Barack Obama couldn't fit into today's Democratic Party, which is pretty astounding because he's not exactly a conservative or a centrist. But I, again, by comparison, uh, you know, I think he is a centrist. For, just give you a quick example: Barack Obama deported more people than all other American uh, presidents combined. And by the way, I would give him credit for that. I think that is a good policy, right, to be deporting people who don't belong here. Kamala Harris says, uh, in contrast, she wants to decriminalize the act of trespassing over our border. Well, if you decriminalize it, if you remove any sanction, any penalty, you've effectively created open borders. She won't use that phrase, but she that's the reality. She is in favor of open borders. So I mean, even just on that topic, consider that amazing chasm between where Barack Obama was um, and where Kamala Harris is. Steve Cortez, uh, Trump 2020 is my guest, uh, Trump Pence 2020. Steve, last question for you. Um, and take your time with it, even though we're up against a break here. I can fudge it a little. Um, before you came on, maybe your ears were burning because I was talking about you uh, and about the deep respect I have for you. When you were still a contributor over at CNN, you wrote the piece, the column, exposing the Charlottesville lie. Um, right. uh, you know, I, I mean, it, I, I don't know how much it needed exposure to those who were paying attention, those of us who heard it and watched it. We already knew, but an enormous number, millions and millions of Americans did not know, and they believed right. the left when they claimed that Donald Trump praised white supremacists and white nationalists as being very fine people. Your column that ran on CNN.com blew me away, and then you made it into a PragerU video as well. And I want to thank you so much for doing that. Um, even though you did, and even though the, you know, the lie is no, well known, it's still being repeated. It's still being repeated right. by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris every time they get an opportunity to speak. Yep. They are claiming that Joe, or that uh, President Trump said that about white supremacists. So my question to you here is, is 
how how and what more can we do if the mainstream media will not correct these people every time right. they repeat a lie that is provably uh you know false right well listen we we've got to do what you're doing right now <laughs> we have to talk about it we have to write about it uh, we just have to continue to proclaim the truth and provide the evidence. That's the thing. You know, the truth is on our side here. I can show you the transcript. We can show you the video, the whole video, you know, not an edited portion of it. Um, and if we continue, we just have to continue to do that, to soldier on. Um, and thank you for your kind words. Listen, it has become, to some degree, my issue. You know, I mean, something that I've just pushed continually because I think it's the most malicious lie in American public life. I really do. I think it has caused so much division in our country. I think it's caused a lot of the polarization in our country because millions of people believed it. And by the way, if you if you actually believe that the president praised violent bigots, well, then I can understand why you would have revulsion for the president and people who support him. But here's the problem. It's not true. Quite the opposite is true. He explicitly condemned them. Uh, I thought Vice President Pence, getting back to his debate, he did a wonderful job in about 90 seconds on that stage in front of 50 million Americans of completely debunking the Charlottesville lie. I'd like to see that from the president on October 22nd. Now, it's supposed to be a foreign policy debate, so I don't know that we're going to get there. Um, uh, but look, we've got to do everything we can through whatever platform we have. And for some of the listeners out there, that might just be friends and family or just their Facebook page. That still matters. Uh, and then for people like you who have a bigger platform of a radio show, we just we have to keep pushing the truth. What I tell people is, listen, if you oppose Donald Trump, uh, fine, but oppose him for reasons that are accurate. You know, oppose right. him based on facts and policies and things he actually said, not this just absolute myth. And it's a vicious myth. Uh, to, to claim that our president praised violent bigots. No, the opposite. He condemned them explicitly. So let's all keep, no matter what, I mean, look, I, I, I think it's important as an election issue, of course, and a part of why I'm promoting the, the truth here is because I want to get this president reelected. But beyond that, this is way more important than just the election. Um, people have to know the truth, and we cannot let a corporate media complex, along with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, continue to push a lie, a just brazen lie, only for their political power. It's It's really reprehensible what they're doing it really is and i love that phrasing the corporate media complex i you know in a bygone american era in which journalism was actually practiced every time uh an elected official or a candidate would repeat a lie that has been debunked and proven false they would have called them out again and again and again until they stopped but they are empowered right. and emboldened to continue to repeat the lie because no one will challenge them steve cortez uh thank you so much i really appreciate everything you're doing i appreciate your time today sir thank you you bet thank you all right, Steve Cortez, Trump Pence 2020. We'll catch our uh, time out here now at 9.53 a.m. 1420, The Answer. Okay, 9.58, the Bob France Authority continues here. Short segment before the top of the hour. And then after the top of the hour, Peter Kersenow will be with us. He's going to analyze the hearings. He's going to be uh, talking about uh, the ongoing riots. We're going to talk to him about the riots in Los Angeles. Which, uh, which uh, police-involved shooting did they riot in L.A. over two nights ago? Uh, oh, none? It was over a basketball game? Got it. Eight cops injured, 76 people arrested in a riot over a basketball game. Tell me again that these riots are so righteous. Tell me again how this is all about police brutality and racial justice. Maybe, just maybe, you're finding out what I've been telling you all along. For some people, any excuse to riot will do. Because that's just what they are. For some people. 
Um, I want to hit this real quick, uh, if I can, before the top of the hour, because what Steve and I were talking about at the end does need to be repeated again and again and again. President Donald J. Trump has repeatedly condemned white supremacy, including and especially following the Charlottesville riot between white supremacist uh, scumbags and Antifa scumbags, both of which were violent and both of which uh, were acting out uh, apart from innocent people who were there to express their opinions on the removal of a statue in Charlottesville, um, who were the very fine people that Donald Trump was talking about. But remember this and uh, share it with everybody that you can. You're changing history, you're changing culture, and you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? And the press has treated them absolutely unfairly. Now, in the other group also, you had some fine people, but you also had troublemakers, and you see them come with the, with the black outfits and with the helmets and with the baseball bats. That is what it takes to disprove the ongoing Charlottesville lie that continues to be repeated by Democratic uh, presidential nominee Joseph Biden. He is a bald-faced liar, and anybody who tries to tell you otherwise, you make sure you share that with them. Curse and now after the news, AM 1420, The Answer.